Our first lesson is Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we rejoiced. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the watercourses in the Negeb. May those who sow in tears reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, carrying their sheaves. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the Church. Listen to a reading from the Gospel of John, chapter 16. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. Ask, and you will receive, so that your joy may be complete. May God add a blessing to God's word. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, we're going to start with a little congregation participation, and I know as Presbyterians we aren't used to that, and if this is your first time at Montview, no, we don't do it every week, so bear with us. So I need you to gesture with your body, these two things. With your body, show grief. Show sadness. Show grief. What does that look like? And with your body, your gestures, show joy. Pentecostals. (laughs) Exactly, right? Exactly. Our bodies show these emotions. It's almost uh, physically impossible to express joy when you're bent over or closed in or curled up. Joy just doesn't allow us to do that. Our heads um, raise up and we open our eyes and we open our hearts to joy. The Latin root for the word joy means to rejoice or to be glad. In Greek, it means rejoicing or delighting. And in Hebrew, the word for joy is simcha. And it evokes much more that feeling of embodied emotion. Joy is in our body. In Hebrew, joy expresses itself also with gladness and delight. And according to the psalmist in Psalm 126, 
Joy is a verb. The people shout and the people dance and the people sing and they march back into Zion. One of the joy-filled Jewish holy days is called Simchat Torah. Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And Simchat Torah comes every autumn at the end of the festival of Sukkot. And on Simchat Torah, the Jewish community celebrates the closing or the, the ending of the annual cycle of the public reading of the Torah. And then it marks the beginning of the public reading of the Torah, the new cycle. And the Jewish communities, um, for 24 hours, dance with the Torah scrolls. And so they lift them above their heads in the, in the synagogue, and they take, so they take them out of the ark. They dance with the scrolls because they are the revelation of God's presence. And they dance with the scrolls. And there are um, YouTube videos I encourage you to watch of uh, Jewish communities spilling out into the streets of New York City and dancing all night with the Torah scrolls. The scrolls. And I thought, you know, the Christ, Christian lectionary also rotates on a cycle, a three-year cycle. And in fact, the first Sunday of Advent is when we change over to our new um, lectionary cycle. So I thought Montview could host the first ever lectionary dance party. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, we're really loose today, I'm telling you. We are feeling it. It's a lot going on. Every month we celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And Eucharist in Greek means, it's Eucharista, and it means thanksgiving, or, or Eucharistos, which means grateful. So every month we have this meal of gratitude and thanksgiving. At the opening of the great Thanksgiving liturgy, the minister says, lift up your hearts, and the people respond. We lift them up to the Lord. Can you just feel that invitation, that movement of lifting up our hearts, that we release our hearts to God, we offer them up, we surrender our hearts, hearts that might, might be bruised, hearts that might be broken. And with our hearts, we say, take it, O oh God, and please, if it's broken, heal it. And if it's turned to so stone, soften it. And if it's empty, fill it with your love. And when we open our hearts to God, we allow joy to enter in, to do its work in our hearts. And re we release joy then back into the world. And so there's this dynamic back and forth where when our hearts are open, the love of God comes in, the joy of God, and then joy is released back into the world. It's like a heartbeat. And deep within us is the heartbeat of God which is deep joy. And I believe deep within the cosmos is the heartbeat of God, which is deep joy. Why did we choose our fall theme to be joy as an act of resistance? C.S. Lewis said, joy is the serious business of heaven. 
And Jesus' intention for his disciples is for us to live countercultural, counterculturally or in countercultural ways. And in our estimation, one of the most powerful and countercultural behaviors we can exhibit is for joy to be the posture in the world that we live in, the posture that we have toward the world, especially a world that is facing such difficulty and suffering. And Jesus says, resist. Resist cynicism and despair and apathy. Ian and I decided it would be good for us to contemplate this spiritual practice of fostering joy in our lives and to open our hearts to receive joy as gift, as pure gift. There have been lots of studies on happiness in the last decade or so. What makes us happy? Answering that question. Researchers have created um, a scale, a happiness scale, helping us to rate our own level of happiness. They've claim to have answered the question, how much wealth does one need to be happy? And in case you're curious, they decided it was $73,000 as an annual salary. Just right for people, not too cold, not too hot. We tell ourselves and we tell each other in this culture, do what makes you happy. Do what makes you happy. And then happiness gets linked to exterior accomplishments and possessions and pleasures and wealth and fun or our overall good fortune. There's nothing wrong with that. The writer Frederick Buechner said, happiness turns up more or less where you'd expect it. A good marriage, a rewarding job, a pleasant vacation. Joy, on the other hand, he goes on, is as notoriously unpredictable as the one who bequeaths it. We cannot control joy. Joy wells up in these unpredictable moments. We get glimpses of joy. We experience intense moments of joy. But we can't control when they come or why they come. I had this experience as a parent, one of my more memorable experiences, positive memorable experiences, when our children were about three and five, or three and six years old. And we were visiting my in-laws' home. They lived um, on the top of Wind Mountain um, over the Columbia River Gorge, if you know that area. Their land was, the view and the land was stunning, beautiful. It was always a gift. And it was an August evening, and our kids Uh, were running and playing in the open uh, green space behind the house. And out of the woods walks a single deer. And this good-sized deer. And this deer walks out into into the space and just stands there. And our children were not afraid. They were unafraid. They just kept running around as if this is totally normal to have a deer come out of the woods and stand there. And the deer was not afraid. And I just watched them play as they squealed with glee and delight and laughter. And 
I watched at this distance and felt as if I was seeing the wonder of God, the wonder of the presence of God in this deer. It was a pure gift. After telling the disciples that they should keep his commandments and remain in his love, Jesus explains, I have said these things to you so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Joy is not usually the first word that comes to people's minds when asked how they would describe Christianity or the church or Christians, unfortunately, because on one end of the Christian spectrum, some people, some Christians, can be downright mean-spirited. And on the other end, the justice and peace Christians, I would consider myself in there, can become self-righteous and judgmental, right? We can take ourselves way too seriously. And then neither camp manifests what Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. You know a flourishing tree by its fruit, Jesus said. So the subject of joy seemed to have fallen out of vogue for some time, focused on happiness for a while. Now it's coming back into vogue. And, and a few years ago, the John Templeton Foundation allotted $4.2 million for research on the topic of joy. They commissioned scientists and social scientists and psychologists and philosophers and theologians and practitioners to explore how we define joy and how we might foster joy, not only as individuals in our lives, but in the collective. The journalist David Brooks' new book, The Second Mountain, begins with Brooks describing the marks of joy in people who emanate it. Brooks asserts that living a life of moral integrity while cultivating soul practices results in joy and peace and love. Joy is the crown of the good life, said theologian Miroslav Volf. Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness the Dalai Lama, arguably the two most joyful people on the planet, tackle the most basic human question in their book, The Book of Joy. How do we find joy in the face of life's inevitable suffering? And each man has experienced profound suffering in his life. Theirs is no naive joy. But in the face of suffering, they resisted cynicism or apathy or despair. Their fear today, though, they said, understandably, is that people will give in to despair, and with despair comes numbness and indifference, resulting in greater suffering. The German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that his greatest challenge as a pastor during um, the war, during the evils of Nazism, was to keep other pastors and parishioners from falling into hopelessness 
in the midst of unspeakable suffering. And through letters, Bonhoeffer exhorted his flock to hold steadfastly to joy and hope so that they would not grow numb to the pain around them. Now, on a lighter note, the new cultural icon of tidying up, Marie Kondo, through her books on organizing and her Netflix show, she's brought joy into our popular vernacular. How many of you know Marie Kondo? Yeah, yeah many. All the women. I'm mean, like, oh yeah, that's, that's not right. Um, so her name, Kondo, has itself become a verb. Kondoing one's life necessitates going through everything we own and deciding what to keep. Not to what to get rid of, but what to keep. And Kondo says um, to, in her very sweet, a non-judgmental way, says, take every item and hold it with reverence and see what sparks joy in you, what moves you to joy. And of course, I think implied in this practice is the wisdom to pare back the amount of stuff we have because we can't have authentic relationship right, with all of our stuff. C.S. Lewis said, all of our desires and pleasures are substitutions for true joy. That all of our desires and pleasures are us seeking true joy. Now, gratefully, this sermon isn't about answering the question, what is joy? For there would be as many answers to that question as there are bodies in this room. But our purpose for this series is to open up active reflection on what it means both to foster joy in our lives, and if it's possible to do so, and what it means to receive joy as an unexpected, unearned gift. And thank goodness, next week, Ian will begin to answer those questions for you. Yes. Next week, you will see in the commons um, a four-sided chalkboard tower that i got to give a shout-out to John Howell for building for us that will be there next Sunday, and it will invite you to share your answers to the question, um, what, does mean jo- what does joy mean to you? And so we'll have chalk there, and we invite you to all sign it as a joyful response to this theme. And today, we again invite you to come outside and to eat pizza and ice cream, to climb the wall or bounce in the castle, to reconnect with friends, to make new friends. Be sure to stop in the midst of all of that and listen for the sound of children's laughter and shouting and play. Because one thing I am certain of is that wherever children are playing and shouting and laughing, there is joy. For joy is the surest sign of the presence of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.